0: Hashtag SAFM Weekend View
1: quite a big uh, talking point here on the show this morning. Today, July 9th marks exactly two years since the devastating July unrest that took place in Guazul-Natal and some parts of Gauteng. This was allegedly as a result of the Constitutional Court's order that former President Jacob Zuma be arrested. Kwamashu in Guazul-Natal became the epicenter of the riots that saw shops and factories including malls looted over several days. Some parts of Gauteng were also affected. Small business owner Dombente Katwane from Khoudeng had to start all over again following the events of July 2021 after her enterprise was looted and destroyed during the riots. And Dometa joins us on the line now. Dometla, thank you so much for your time this morning. I mean, this time uh, for you, uh, one can only begin to, you know, just think about how emotional it possibly is. Yeah, but, you
2: know, it's, it's very emotional, but it's like south africa is like an emotional roller coaster as a small business owner you're in a constant state of trauma and fear um there's all sorts of things that are coming at us at all times
1: from all sides mm, and and let's take us back to you know that particular day and and tell us briefly what happened specifically to your business
2: so my business supplies big retailers and uh, we had sent shipments of products to a warehouse uh, in KZN. From there, then we um, were able, supposed to be able to then supply the different retailers and stores in KZN. I remember we were supposed to be delivering products um, to to various Click stores and uh, the warehouse there, and we got a call to say that uh, we won't be able to make the the Thursday delivery that week because of the lootings that happened, and that all of the stock that was sitting in that warehouse uh, in KZN had been destroyed, and when we saw the pictures, it was just devastating.
1: How did you feel at that moment?
2: It was absolutely devastating because, you know, for us as a small business, just missing a week of deliveries means a lot of income lost Uh, any delay a one-day delay has um, repercussions for us in terms of um, income and not being able to invoice that that month properly and you know meeting your 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 obligations such as salaries and being able to buy raw materials.
1: Did that affect um, you know jobs at all from your um,
2: in the long term in the long term it did uh, because we I think we lost goods of um, over uh, over a hundred hundred thousand fifty thousand thereabout mm. um, but because of not being able to get uh, the money on time in terms of uh, recovering it there was a rolling um, repercussions whereby six months later we then had to make decisions on cutting um, a few of our, of our employees. Mm.
1: And, and and I do understand, of course, that you did receive some insurance assistance from SASREA. How was that particular process for you? Because you've just hinted that, you know, things were not as quick. But how was it? So
2: luckily, I mean, I think Sasria is a great institution to have. And luckily I did have that insurance cover. Um, It it took a while for me to be able to get that money. Um, In fact, I think by the time I received it, I'd forgotten about it. I'd I'd like, uh, you know, lost hope that it would come through. It was actually thanks to an interview that I did with SABC TV that um, the people I'd taken it through, I'd taken it um, through Standard Bank. And within a week after that, it, it it had already been more than six months after the incident. Um, that then I was able to get the payout.
1: So when, when, when then, obviously, you know, all of that is happening, you're waiting for the money and then the money eventually does come and you've hinted that at some point the long-term effect became, um, you know, having to think about cutting down in terms of the size of your staff. How else would you say you were impacted in terms of the recovery of, of the business even after you received the money?
2: So, when we were already by that time we were into the Ukraine war, and I mean, sitting in South Africa, you would think, how can the Ukraine war affect me as a small business? But by that time, um, you know, so many input costs, because there's a lot of things that we, t- we bring in from outside of the country. Um, I use a lot of natural oils, such as coconut oil that comes in from Indonesia and Malaysia, different types of inputs that come in from outside of the country that ended up the costs end up going like doubling or tripling, and some of them we were not able to get any more. So already by the time I get the SASRIA payout, I'm already dealing with delays and increases in costs from uh, the Ukraine war. Mm. So like I was saying to you that it's just like a rolling um, rolling problems that you're mm. you're facing in the country. And already, and then last year, that's when we started seeing the huge increases of um, the rolling blackouts, the low shedding. Um, so having to make decisions around that because now you're not able to manufacture um, during working hours. So now you have to go into overtime. And overtime really eats into your, you know, into your, your budget. So you have to, into your cost, it really increases your costs. So you have to make decisions around um, whether you keep, you know, you have different delays so you either cut your costs where you cut your employees and you you increase your pricing to your customers at a time when the economy is really shrinking in terms of the number of people who are able to maintain jobs Mm. um, and the increase of inflation. So there's a lot of considerations going on at that time already. So um, by the time I get that payout, there's so many other things that I am facing and um i remember i was forced to have to take a loan um uh from some institution and only to find that later that loan was a very predatory loan in terms of the interest rates and stuff like that so yeah it's it has been quite the interesting ride um trying to build and stabilize a business post covid
1: and, um, you know, Domenla, we wish you all the best. You, you've, you've really stuck it out against all odds. You know, someone else would have decided to quit, but uh, you keep going. And all the best, because certainly, as you say, there's there's quite a lot of odds that are stacked up against you, but you are pushing. Keep going. Thank you so
2: much.
1: And uh, thank you. We do appreciate it. That was a small business owner, Dombentle Katwane from Gauteng, who's had to start all over again following the events of uh, July 2021.
3: Sunday morning discussion on Weekend View.
1: And we are staying with our theme around the July 2021 unrest. And I do understand we have a caller on the line, Lusiba from Limpopo. Lusiba, good morning to you.
4: So Zizbongi, i speaking to Lusiba and Khoho Oh, what a chilly morning this side of Kukune. Yes. Khoa bae
1: talika mo, I tell you. It's
4: very cold. You see, uh, Zizbongi, we must be honest in assessing the whole situation because you are asking, is it the country ready? The country will never be ready because we are not making an, an honest assessment about the situation uh, in July two years ago. When you look at, into, into the whole situation, you find that this is caused by inability of the Zulu nation to accept that one of them found himself in the wrong side of the law, of which is President, former President Jacob Zuma. When you look, how many people have been arrested? How many people have been successfully prosecuted for this thing? The perpetrators, the instigators of this violence, which are the children of former President Zuma, Edward, Duduzile, uh, 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 are not even yet being arrested. No one has been held to account. All the people that have seen the police arresting them, they release them. Every day when they appear in court, they get released. Therefore, it means if, if it, if it happens, that former president Zuma still before the court being convicted and be sentenced to jail. The same thing, it will repeat itself, and the government will respond the same way they responded. But right. if, as a South Africa, because if you can check. We knew as a country that this is not going to affect the whole country. It will not be spreading beyond the areas where the Zulu nation is staying. It's precisely in KwaZulu Natal and part of kwazulu Jabulani area where Zulu mall was. But it is because mm-hmm. the Western dwellers, which by nature are the Zulu nation, they weren't reacting. Really but the whole country was at peace here in were At peace, not first, it can everywhere. If we can accept that. South Africa can it be led by any other person even outside the Zulu nation. There was inability right. of the Zulu people to accept President Ramaphosa as the president of the country and the president of the ANC caused the whole thing. Right. This has ma- nothing to do with the social, because people were banning. They were not just looking to eat. They were banning malls. What is social about that? Banning All infrastructure, right. destroying. Look what happened at... At the uh, games. The okay.
1: just been Thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for those thoughts. Uh, we, 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 we hear you. Thank you so much. Do appreciate it. And, and, and I mean, it's something that we need to talk about because um, the ethnical uh, lines, we saw them also, uh, you know, basically rearing their heads again during this particular unrest. And is it really, though, a, a road that we would like to travel? as South Africa. Is it the right kind of road to travel, Lisiba? I think it's something that we need to really, really just reflect on. Let's take another comment, Um, Bongi, where no country can be ready for mass riot and looting, but can set example with a few individuals like the Woolworths looter and Ngiz, where it can still happen as politicians keep poking the bear while none of Zuma family members are in court, and that is Sipo giving us his view there and, and really something that is uh, quite interesting. But let's have this discussion now. We're speaking to Sasria, um, the organization responsible for ensuring institutions and businesses against riots and uh, um, acts of uh, terrorism. Now, this week they launched a documentary about uh, the aftermath of the July 9, 2021 riots. The documentary comes just two years after the events of July 2021. It aims to educate South Africans about the consequences of violent protests as well as some of the work done by Sasra to assist businesses that were affected. Now, this morning, we are looking at this. We're looking at whether or not South Africa is ready. Are we in a better position to be able to deal with some of these things um, if they could you know, occur again in the future? Mozi Lala, executive manager, stakeholder, Management at SASRIA and independent researcher Stuart Mbanyere join us both now on the line. Good morning to you and thank you so much. I'm going to start with you, Muzi. Uh, let's start with your reflections since the July 2021 unrest.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Um, it has been two years since uh, the whole ordeal of July 21 has occurred, and I think. Starting from the very, very first week that it took place, because Sasa had been ensuring these type of events, you know, for about 42 years, um, and that was about in July 2021. So obviously, we had understood how we thought everything would pan out, you know, and it took about eight, nine days really for everything to settle down for us to get an understanding of what really actually had occurred. You know a couple of things that happened the first one is that this one compared to the previous ones did not have a face you know um if you look at if you look at 1976 you know if you look at the couple of unrest that had taken place the cause had been common for people it had been talk- spoken about a date would have been set that on a particular date there's going to be some type of an unrest you know it was widely understood i think that's one of the things that made this one to be quite particular you know, mm-hmm. and at the same time, if again, you look at the events as they took place, because we went back, we looked at Bridge City as one of the the, the, the the malls that were destroyed almost completely, you know to understand hours looking at footage, hours before the whole thing took place, and all the way leading to exactly the time when people started you know marching into the, into the building uh, looting and destroying it. To really try and understand how is this different from all others that led to it to be at that you know scale that it actually became Mm. so we we got to understand a few things first of all that the coordination was a whole lot more precise than we would like to believe that it was and the individuals it's almost as if they had a cue that was given to them you know for them to actually really start going into this and most of them, it was almost as if they had lost their sense of civility. You know, um, it was like really, you know, the country can go to flames and nobody would really care. So we then are now starting to look back and see really a little bit more so that we can see how to handle another unrest, if there should be another one of this magnitude. the but-
1: yeah, Muzi, uh, something that you say that is, you know, quite important and had been talked about over time, but I think, um, you know, with hindsight, we are able to see these things better, as you say, a better coordination. It does look like it was well orchestrated than we would let on, as you say. Stuart, I wonder for you, what are some of your reflections as we open the discussion?
5: Good um, Thank you for having me. I think um, the important lesson is that Um, NEEDED TO BE LEARNED AND THAT NEED TO BE LEARNED FROM THE unrest THAT OCCURRED IN 2021. Um, CHIEF AMONGST THESE IS HOW WE HAVE um, WEAK STATE INSTITUTIONS um, AT A GOVERNMENT LEVEL, SO BOTH LOCAL, PROVINCIAL, AND NATIONAL GOVERNMENT, uh, AND NATIONALLY um, WITH EMPHASIS ON um, THE STATE SECURITY AGENCIES. Um, HOWEVER, THERE HAVE BEEN ATTEMPTS TO SORT OF Intervene and um, recalibrate these institutions. Um, we saw the recommendations of the expert panel, which recommended um, that the state security agency uh, needs to be uh, sort of reformed, for lack of a better word. And as we've seen since then, it's been taken to uh, the presidency. Um, the national police commissioner at the time has been removed and a new one installed. And I think um, as the events that took place this year in March, um, with the Economic Freedom Fighters march. Um, We saw a swift, I'm not sure if overboard uh, is the word to say, swift response from um, state security agencies, from police um, to the military, which was um, deployed preemptively. So I think the state has sort of learned from those events um, at an institutional level. But politically, you still have a lot of um, triggers um, and mobilizations that still occur albeit not at a similar scale as we saw in 2021. Um, another worrying factor is the state of the economy, um, which similar pressures still exist now that um, led to the sparks that led to the flames of the violence. So, you've mm-hmm. got a weak economy, um, high unemployment, high unemployment rates. Um, which could be catalyst to any form of um, insurrection which might occur in the future. So, they're going to also address these material economic conditions. And I'm not sure if that's being taken to heat um, given the state of the economy and society
4: today.
1: An interesting, um, you know. Uh, reflections as you're sharing them with us there, um, uh, Stuart. And before we continue, let me take some of the comments. Ayanda sishi saying, no, we have a leadership deficit in this country. It is evident in the way we have handled what is happening next door in Mozambique and the way we've handled Zimbabwe in the years 2002 to 2009. We can't handle conflicts because we don't speak the truth to our friends as South Africa and I, um, and of course, uh, purposed rebels saying, how did the court Get the timing of the conviction of the Woolworths guy accurately, same day as the jailing of President Zuma. The courts are captured. Someone is using the courts as their fiefdom. Uh, I, I suppose, I don't know, um, you know, purposed rebel. Interesting that you, you, you say that um, because that case had been going on over time. And I think Mbuso was also expecting that at some point the sentencing would come. And, uh, you know, but a lot of questions can still be asked as you talk about this is that who are some of the faces? Because a number of people are still saying we're waiting to see the instigators and what exactly happened here. So let's take some of your voice notes and then we'll continue in just a bit.
6: Good morning, my sister and the SAFM listeners. Uh, What happened in 2021 uh, was the most unfortunate thing to happen, especially to business people and those who lost their lives. Uh, the ANC government uh, was supposed uh, to, to to avoid it. It was avoidable, but they didn't listen uh, to those who warned them that there's something brewing, uh, because there were signs that there's something brewing. I hope that next time there will not be a reactionary re- re- government, but they will uh, avoid these things. Hi, hi, hi. Good morning, Bongiwe. This is Pilani Kumalo. Uh, in Queenstown, in the Eastern Cape. Look, uh, there is nothing significant that has happened since uh, uh, those July unrests, you understand, Uh, because uh, the people that uh, started those things have never been arrested, not all of them. Look at uh, Zuma's children. Zuma's children have never been arrested at all, let alone being convicted, because Zuma's children Zuma's children were involved in instigating that that violence, in starting that violence. But everyone is just looking away from that from that fact. You understand. So, uh, if those if that thing can happen again, if Jacob Zuma could be arrested or anyone could be arrested, there is no guarantee that those hundreds cannot come back. You understand. So we haven't done anything significant as a country to set an example that that thing should never be tolerated again. Thank you, Bongiwe.
1: Thank you very much. And I'm going to get to the arrest in just a moment. But Mosey, let me come back to you because um, you know one of the things that was quite critical and we just spoke to a small business owner is that you received a lot of claims um, in this particular regard. Were you able to meet all the requests? And if you were not able to meet some, why?
0: Well, looking at where we are today, we, we have been able outside to meet all the claims. We have paid about 97% of all of them completely paid out. The the last 3% that you still have, you know, other ones that are, were really quite large, you know, that needed to rebuild. And uh, a portion of it would be obviously the business interruption component, which then means that the business needed to be rebuilt first and then calculate as to how much of the losses in terms of profit would have been been lost during the time. And that portion of it is still the 3%, but we have. But obviously, as you know, as a business at the time, we our liabilities did exceed our assets at a point. So we were technically insolvent mm-hmm. at a particular point um, because of this. And, and, and again, the, the reason for that is because any insurance business would have its own uh, reserves that it keeps. So we also calculate as well to look at what could potentially happen as a scenario that could lead us to a position where we need to reserve a particular amount of money. And you do your calculations as well, things that are, are called like your maximum probable losses, uh, which we did. And I think Sasa had done all of that quite adequately. What we did not anticipate is that there could be a breakdown in the various levels of defense. So the levels of defense are the mitigating factors, like for instance, mm-hmm. the reaction of the police, the speed at which the police would be required to disperse the crowds, and, you know, even the army, if it's in point when the police are unable to do that. Yeah. So all of those things are what led us to not being able to do that. But all the claims, at least at this point, have been paid out.
1: Musi, I'm going to ask just for us to pause for a second. Stuart, I'm coming back. There's a situation unfolding right now. Uh, Freddie, the truck driver, is on Van Rien's Pass and he's telling us a very disturbing situation. Freddie, good morning to you. What's happening there? Freddie, a very good morning to you. Are you able to hear us? All right. We'll continue with our conversation and try to get Freddie back because he's telling us that on Van Pass, there are some trucks that are burning there. And it's interesting that we hear about this. And exactly two years later, remember, this is what we also saw, um, some trucks burning in, 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 in Gwazul Natal. And Freddie is telling us right now that he's uh, around Van Rienen's Pass. And uh, there seems to be some trucks that are burning. We're not sure what is going on there. We're trying to establish a line with Freddie in order to get a sense of what exactly is going on there. Stuart, um, right on that while we try to get Freddie on the line. I will interrupt you as soon as we have him. But let me come to you. One of the big things, though, is that Years, um, I mean, it's it's two years now. Years later, we are still not able to unmask who exactly was behind this particular unrest. Yes, we've seen some people being arrested, but there are still cries. Um, you know, of of, of those who are still not behind bars or in the dock. What does that say then when it comes to accountability?
5: We must um, establish accountability at a political level. As I briefly mentioned earlier on how there were political triggers um, that led to the events unfolding. So intra party sectional battles um, largely concentrated within um, the governing ANC were a significant contributory factor. The events that occurred. But in terms of accountability, I think the Zondo Commission had established how essentially our criminal justice and security cluster in South Africa was, um, for lack of a better word, rotten, and in need of significant recalibration and reform. Um, the high-level expert panel also pointed to the problems of uh, political accountability and political infighting and how these lead to um, events that occur in South Africa from protests to political mobilization also at a local and sometimes
4: national level so it speaks to the need to
1: all right i think uh, stuart is uh just dropped there we'll try to go back to stuart in just a moment question uh, freddy is now on the line freddy good morning to you what is happening there morning Mr. Wong, how are you i'm very well thanks and you what are you seeing around you uh i must prepare themselves for
3: another claim you see I'm just a few kilometers away from uh, uh, Van Rinen, eh? mm-hmm. They stopped us. The toll guys, they stopped us here. They say we can't go forward. There's about six trucks that is on fire. The people of Van Rinen, they, they were uh, protesting. So the road is closed. Entry is totally closed. We can't go anywhere. They are burning the truck. And guess what? These people are doing it because two years later, two years later, they are banning it because nobody is in jail. Software need to, 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 to up their game. They need to prosecute these people, use their financial m- m- muscles. Two years ago, I'm the one who was crying like a baby in Richards Bay, sitting there, people trying to ban the truck. But up to today, nothing has happened. Nothing. They can talk all they want, but what, 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 what. People who just ban trucks because they know for nothing will happen. My company, later, they, they, they were paid three of our trucks. They looked at the, uh, the, the cement, which was 2,040 bags of cement
1: in Kongola. All right. I think uh, we've lost Freddie there, but we do get the essence of what he's saying. And it it, it is quite a concerning situation. And um, I'm sure the news desk is going to try and speak to the N3 toll concession people in order to understand what's going on. And the police on the ground, because if six trucks, as uh, you know, Freddie says, are on fire, what are we seeing? What is going on? And and he was one of those who alerted, uh, you know, this particular station about, um, you know, this unrest and where he was. Was at the time and what was going on. Muzi, I was uh, coming back to you to talk about some of the claims and now you're hearing what is going on there at Van Pass. I just want your initial reaction to what Freddie just said. Muzi, if you're still there, I'm sure you heard Freddie. Uh, what is your initial reaction?
0: Yes, I did hear Freddie and um, yeah, I'm a little bit perplexed, to be quite honest, <laughs> to hear that it's happening exactly on the 9th of July, which is the day that the whole thing started two years ago. Um, And and I hear what he's saying as well about the reasons uh, why this is happening. Um, Yeah, at this moment, I Mm. think we just need to, um, as an entity, as well as um, government and the private sector, which was going to be the next thing that I wanted to talk about, to say that um, if something like this happens, because there are two schools of thought here, there are things we can do prior to an event happening, and there are things we can do after the event so the reason why we incurred so many claims was because of the lack of coordination which we now have tried together with government and the private sector to try and get together and say um how do we enhance the response and the response cannot happen without intelligence so knowing what's happening at any given time as it happened and then coordinating the response between the the clusters of security between the state between the police and knowing when to escalate as well And I mean, I think Mm -hmm. the other gentleman that you had did touch on this to say that um, with the march in in 20th of March this year, you you remember the visibility of police, even the army was there as part of a response to show that the response is actually going to be a whole lot more this time. So all of those things we have at least put in place at this point. But um, I'm really hopeful that this whole thing is not really going to amount to Anything significant,
1: mm, and especially because you know, I remember even in the past, Sasria was saying that, um, you know, had the had security authorities responded within the first days to the unrest and assuming um, no additional consequential damage, the loss could have been, you know, less in, in fact, around 12 billion rand less than what we then saw it become. So, that was, you know, one of the things that was said at the time. But, um, I do understand that Stuart is now back with us, Stuart. We're talking about something very critical, and that is a accountability and you know when people are not arrested en masse as we have been we were told that there are these instigators we'll see them in droves in uh, you know um, in the dock and some of them will be uh, behind bars eventually yet here we are we are not seeing a lot of movement in that particular matter what does that mean for accountability
5: um thank you um as I mentioned, how it, it speaks to a weakened criminal justice system. So the courts have significant backlogs in terms of—the NPA has significant backlogs in terms of detection and prosecuting rates uh, for crimes in general, and um, this is seen not only through the July unrest, where you only had um, recently the war with, um, being arrested, uh, but essentially there's um, limited impetus for prosecuting those that— uh, politically, um, sort of prestigious in a sense that they mm-hmm. hold political capital and they contributed to this event. Um, however, there has been limited um, persecution in, in that regard to and Stuart, people that contributed.
1: Pardon me. the The high panel report was also clear on what needed to be done, and there were warnings there, and there were calls for accountability, um, and and really scathing, even in some parts of it, around the executive. Would you say that particular report right now is gathering dust? I think to a significant
5: extent, um, the panel report did say that it's only a matter of time until more unrest occurs and how there's a need for a range of policy interventions, um, including a management framework from cabinet, um, better coordination and alignment, as well as a strengthening of the capacity. So I think some of these um, calls that the panel had made, um, the presidency in particular, has made several interventions to to sort of um, implement um, the recommendations. However, um, significant reforms that the panel report um, recommended have not been affected. And these range from institutions such as the state security agency internally, as well as cabinet in itself, in its functioning and um, sort of coordination and capacity of state institutions. To a great extent, it's not getting that, however, more could be done in terms of implementation, implementation, as well as to ensure that um, such events are avoided in the future.
1: Mosey, um did you receive any bogus claims at all?
0: Did we receive any claims at all?
1: Any bogus, bogus claims? Because oh. I remember in the past, there were concerns around, you know, inflated claims and stuff. So did you receive any any, any bogus claims and what, what was done if you did?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. We, we did, um, although as, as a proportion uh, in number relative to the total number of claims received, it was pretty small in other words, uh, within acceptable means from what we expect as an insurance industry. But we did, and majority of them were not necessarily really that they were not legitimate claims. They were, but we found a whole lot of individuals who inflated their claims. Um, Some of them went through great lengths to really create, uh, you know, manufacture uh, additional amounts in millions, by the way, of claims that did not necessarily really exist, but the trigger was there. So there was a claim, there was some damage, but they pretty much created quite a lot. So that was actually a bit more than the ones that did not exist at all. Or there are instances where somebody removed the entire stock from their building um, and they put it at a different place and you know they created a scene of some sort. Uh, and luckily, there were some tip-offs. Uh, there were a couple of things that have happened that helped us in, in, in mitigating against those.
1: And um, Stuart, as, as, as we round up our discussion, let's talk about something else that, that was very concerning and someone touched on it. Um, I think it was Lisiba at the beginning of the conversation. The, the, the ethnic and tribal undertones that also emerged during this particular um, you know, unrest, they are still there. And, and, and I wonder, how do we begin to deal with that? Because we're still hearing them two years on.
4: Yes, absolutely. I think historically,
5: um, South Africa has um, sort of been um, divided along tribal and ethnic lines. And these have been a precursor to, to political violence. Um, in 1993, we saw similar scenes uh, playing out in Kuala Lumpur and Gauteng in Alexandra. Uh, and then more recently, um, just before President was arrested, we could see um, the, the sort of ethnic um, and, and tribal lines being stoked um, during um, the, the, the gatherings uh, at the compound just prior to arrest. Unfortunately, those not, not only manifest in terms of the and black um, violence, um, we saw the scenes that emerged from Phoenix in KwaZulu Natal and two years later. And as far as um, um, how those scenes led to a number of deaths, um, two years later, um, I'm not sure in terms of what action has been taken to number one um, strengthen social cohesion um, in, in in Phoenix uh, and also generally in South Africa as well. Because sometimes these um, sort of the ethnic and tribal lines become stoked and even um, manifest in terms of xenophobic uh, violence as well. So there should be an active attempt towards um, strengthening um, social cohesion and social harmony. Yeah. Um, both in Phoenix and nationally, so a lot needs to be done for so that um, yeah. that goes to an aversion of violence.
1: And definitely, and and, and and maybe it's something that we need to look into, social cohesion. I remember being a young journalist covering the Social Cohesion Summit in Clipdown, for example. What became of that um, and, and some of the efforts that we are seeing over the years being talked about around social cohesion. But let me thank you both for your time this morning. Um, and, of course, a lot more still to talk about on this particular subject. That was Muzid Laldam, Executive Manager, Stakeholder Management at SASRIA and Independent Research researcher Stuart Mbanyere. Thank you so much uh, to you.